my name's Luke, and welcome to Scapegoat, the podcast where we see who gets the blame and who gets away with murder, sometimes literally. The advertisement industry puts billions into making us want to buy certain products. Adverts are made so specifically it's down to a science deciding how to target and get the attention of consumers. If you see an ad on TV from a major company, almost no details will have been left to chance, with everything from hair colour to what's in the background being painstakingly decided by a committee of people. Which is why it's so interesting when an ad fails spectacularly or a promotion blows up in the marketing department's face. What went wrong? Was it a lack of planning? Or did something come out of the blue to cause a publicity nightmare? Today we're going to look at five marketing mishaps and what went wrong. Number one. We've talked about Coca-Cola new coke kind of failure from the 1980s on a previous podcast however this wasn't coke's only marketing mistake in 1994 coke's main rivals pepsi released a line of purified bottled water called aquafina which proved popular with consumers coke realizing the simplicity of selling bottled water and not wanting to get laughed behind their rivals began to sell their own bottled water they called dasini after a successful launch in the United States and Canada, Coca-Cola decided to release this line in the UK, with the idea of UK being like a landing base that if you can get it into UK, you can spread the brand throughout Europe and continue the success. Because Aquafina by Pepsi was already in the UK and Europe, so Coke really wanted to catch up. However, the brand got off to a rocky start when they were started to advertise the water because it was revealed the source of the water was actually from the tap. They had a base in Sidcup in London where they were just getting mains water from the London like waterways and they were just bottling it. And this was in huge contrast to other British and European brands which would normally get their water from natural springs or alpine glaciers. So many British newspapers started to make fun of uh, Dessini with The Independent asking why people should pay 3000% markup for tap water and other tabloids noticing an uncanny parallel between what Dessini was doing and an episode of the sitcom Only Fools and Horses in which the main characters Rodney and Delboy take tap water from their flat and try to sell it under the name Peckham Springs. It also didn't help that Sidcup and Peckham are right beside each other so all the newspapers were like, you plonker, why are they trying to sell tap water? Another major problem was Coca-Cola decided to cut corners and use the US advertising material. So this happens more than you'd think, that if a brand exists in the United States, they'll think, okay, the UK speaks English, Australia speaks English, we'll just release all the same materials in these countries. However, sometimes things, even if you're speaking in English, can get lost in translation. In the United States, the scene had been branded as spunk in a bottle. The spunk in American English being courageous or determined or to have pluck. So, that said, to say someone has spunk in American English is a compliment. It's trying to say, yeah, look at that brave person there. Unfortunately, Coke executives didn't realise the term was in British English pretty much the word it would be a slang term for semen or like ejaculate. So they were saying that, you know, we're presenting you spunk in a bottle. UK consumers were a little bit concerned. And the theme was continued with some of Dessini's UK publicity, including, for instance, a picture of a bikini-clad woman 
next to a bottle of Dasini with the words, You can't live without spunk next to it. Um, yeah, you can imagine people were having a right laugh at the CD at that point. Like, spunk in a bottle, you can't live without spunk, bikini girl. Okay. So, after these two marketing disasters, Coke was like, oh god, we're really messing this up. So, the best way for us to advertise this now is just, we'll just say that our water's really pure. We'll go with what, like, Volvic or River Rock or whatever. They all say that we've got really pure water, we'll do the same. So, they started saying, like, you know, Dasini, really pure. But... This was beginning to be questioned and trading standards got involved because they felt they needed to investigate this claim to see if it was true, to see how pure it was. So trading standards visited the Cini's bottling facility in Sidcup where they discovered trace amounts of a carcinogenic bromate in the water. So this was very serious, this could potentially cause cancer, their very pure water was potentially cancerous. So Coke immediately withdrew all 500,000 bottles of the Cini from the market and chose not to re-release the product. It had only been in the market for five weeks and it failed horribly. This meant future planned product launches in Germany or France were swiftly abandoned. This is an entire story of you need to first make sure you know what other people are doing because selling filtrated like tap water in america wasn't a big deal is what pepsi had done before but if you're getting onto another market you check what they're doing and if they're selling like mountain water you sell mountain water <laughs> or if they if you want to sell something in the uk make sure that your marketing materials if they're from the american office translate because you think they might but you might end up looking like a bit of an Egypt. Okay, number two. So, Domino's Pizza from the early 1980s started to use a mascot called The Noid. So The Noid was a small man dressed in red with a superhero's mask and giant red rabbit ears. So the character was supposed to represent all the things that could go wrong with a pizza being delivered with the Noid trying to destroy the pizza in various ways, like getting a pogo stick and jumping on the pizza. And the name Noid was just kind of like, it was supposed to be like something that you, it would make you annoyed. So you were, they were saying the slogan, avoid the Noid, as in go to Domino's, you'll get your pizza without any problems. You won't find this Noid. So you wanted, so though it was their like logo character, you didn't want to hang around with the Noid because you'd destroy your pizza. The character was connected to a Domino's campaign, which was a 30 minute guarantee. So Domino had this very famous 30 minute guarantee that you placed your order and if it was delivered in more than 30 minutes, you would get it free. Or later from the mid 80s, it became you get about $3 off or it would be heavily discounted. So you said, do you want to avoid the noise? Do you want to get your pizza fast? You go with Domino's. And unlike Dasini, this campaign was almost immediately successful with the Noid character becoming an easily merchandisable figure. He proved so popular that a video game called Avoid the Noid was released on PC in Commodore 64, and then it was sequelized to the NES with a game called Yo Noid. So the character's popular with children was doing very well. So you're probably wondering how this could count as a marketing fail, with the character and the campaign being so swiftly dropped due to one singular incident. A mentally ill 22-year-old man called Kenneth Lamar Noid entered a Domino's pizza restaurant with a revolver in Atlanta, Georgia and took hostages. So the reason that Kenneth Lamar Noid 
noticed the name, was coming into this restaurant was he was a paranoid schizophrenic who believed the Avoid the Noid campaign had been created to personally persecute him. Believing Domino's owner, Tom Moynihan, had been spying on him for years and had stolen his name as a form of harassment, Kenneth Noid demanded $1,000 and a getaway transportation in trade for one of the hostages. He also asked for a strange book called The Widow's Son. So you can imagine police thinking this guy's requesting a book. It's kind of sounding a bit like uh, Mark David Chapman and John Lennon. This guy might shoot. So they actually ended up giving him the book. But they didn't give him the $100,000 and get away. They just kept stalling him there. So after six hours, Kenneth got hungry and asked the employees to make him two large pizzas with everything on it. So once they made him the pizza, he put his guns down to eat the pizzas and the hostages made a break for it and escaped. The police quickly entered and arrest Kenneth Noid, but the story was widely reported and began to cause a lot of negative coverage for Domino's with late night hosts making fun of them. And you know, the avoid the Noid was like almost immediately dropped. You know, it was quietly dropped because they were like, we would want nothing more to be associated with this dude, Kenneth Noid, who went and did a hostage situation. We just, we're going to stop the character. And, you know, the 30-minute guarantee that Domino's had famously had was also dropped soon after due to, like, a high-profile accidents being caused by Domino's drivers racing to get to their destination within 30 minutes. So, yeah, Domino's dropped the noise, they dropped the 30 minutes, and they just said, okay, we're just washing our hands, we're walking away. I mean, Domino's has used the character after about 20 years, from about 2009, the character was used infrequently again in advertising, but it's far from being the ubiquitous mascot in the 1980s, because the Noid was super popular, toys, video games, and just disappeared overnight because one crazy person thought, this, this, avoid the Noid is me! What can I do now? God, no! Okay, number three. LG is a popular electronics manufacturer from South Korea. You've probably seen, you probably actually have an LG product in your house. It might be a television or it could be something like a refrigerator, washing machine, or even a computer screen. You know, they're very big. Sometimes they go under the name Life is Good instead of LG, but this is a giant South Korean corporation. However, LG began to move into the market of smartphones from the early 2010. And initially, they had a huge market share in South Korea, but when Apple arrived, they fell behind. And they were only having about like 10% of the market with Samsung, with Apple selling the rest. So after their first phone was sold, they thought the second generation of the smartphone, the G2, it has to sell well. We need to get back to the top of the market. So LG put a lot of budget and a lot of thoughts into how to sell the G2 phone. And the marketing department began to try and drum up plenty of ideas to focus on the Korean domestic market. Because, you know, they could sell the phone abroad, but it was a kind of thing of passion. We want a Korean phone to be the number one selling in Korea, and we want to beat Samsung, who are their bitter rivals. So they arranged an event in central Seoul called the G in the Cloud, where they would give vouchers for a free G2 handset, and these vouchers would be attached to 100 helium balloons. So if you manage to get your hands on the balloon, the voucher, you'd get the phone. And this phone in Korea, a brand new phone at the time, would have been 
950,000 won, which would be about 850s American, 650 pounds, 700 euro. No, nothing to be sneezed at. There's a really great idea for going to try and get this phone. And I used to live in South Korea, and I can tell you living from experience, the people there are really fashion conscious. And they're also very technology conscious. So the idea of a free, brand new, exclusive phone that no one else had, or you would have to pay a lot of money for, would be greatly appealing to a lot of young people. So when they decided to release the balloons, there was an abnormally large amount of people in the park. And many really wanted this ticket. They kind of was like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. They saw the golden ticket. They wanted it. So they decided not to leave it to chance. Members of the public brought BB guns with the plans to shoot down the balloons. While another man attached a knife to a stick, which he was preparing to throw at the balloons and try and pop them. So as anticipation built, LG released the balloons and the crowd surged forward with some being crushed and accidentally shot by the BB guns. The event caused 20 people to become injured and seven people to become hospitalized, with a Korean broadcaster referring to the incident as World War G. Because G phone, G in the air, they thought, God, all these people are getting injured over a phone because the crush crushed them, as somebody got stabbed with a knife, you know, accidentally. A lot of people got like BB gun shot. And you might not think getting shot by a BB gun is that sore, but trust me, it can be really sore. And this was a huge scandal. And other events planned around the phone for that day were immediately cancelled due to the mass injuries around the event. LG hoped the phone would rival Samsung's S4, which was just released, and hoped to sell 3 million units in South Korea. Unfortunately for LG, after World War G, as it's been termed, the LG uh, G2 phone only managed to sell 900,000 units, so less than a third of what they wanted. And this really was a missed opportunity, because as I said earlier, throughout 2012, LG had the same market share as Samsung, and however, while Samsung grew, they soon overtook Apple later that year, and LG remained stagnant. So LG was still selling about 10% of the phones, while Samsung jumped up and they were selling 50% of the phones. And this trend has continued with Samsung outselling LG 4 to 1 in Korea. And different people have put responsibility down to this incident. So just the poor idea of, hey, let's give away all these golden tickets, but release them in balloons, but not really have proper security or not really plan for these people to be safely corridored off. Yeah, it was just like a mass scramble. It would be the equivalent of walking into Times Square and like start throwing money in the air. You'll, you'll get a riot happening really fast. Okay, number four. Due to me calling out two of Coke's marketing blunders with New Coke and the Dacini incident, I feel it's only fair for me to talk about a time that Pepsi messed up. Pepsi has always been second to Coke in most international markets with the exception of a few Arab countries. And as we see in the previous episode about New Coke, in the 1980s, Pepsi went on the offensive in the United States and began to gain market share. However, Pepsi also wished to do this in foreign markets. So one of their foreign markets, which they were initially doing very poorly in, was the Philippines, where in 1992, Coke had a 75% market share and Pepsi only had 17 
Pepsi executives in the Philippines came up with a solution called the Number Fever Game. So this was a shocking advertising campaign where, which took the country by storm. It was very simple. So if you bought a can or a bottle of Pepsi, underneath the cap of Pepsi 7-Up Mountain Dew would be a three-digit number and a prize would be written there with the top prize being 1 million pesos. So you could open it up and say, oh, you'll get a new car, you could get a million pesos, you could get, you know, a holiday to like Korea or somewhere. You know, a million pesos, just in case you're wondering, at the time would have been about 20,000 US dollars because the Filipino economy's gone up, it would be about $40,000 today. And the idea to give away 1 million pesos that was the grand prize, and it would be announced on the last day of the competition. So they're giving away other prizes daily, but the 1 million pesos, that would be on the last day of the competition. And within two weeks at the start of the competition, Pepsi sales were up by 40%. The island nation soon went mad with the competition, with 31 million people, or more than half the country's population, estimated to have participated. And people were tuning in each night to the Channel 2 news to see what numbers would get, you know, released and to see if they had won. So it was great anticipation. People were really, really interested in the competition. So on May 25th, the final day of the giveaway was reached and the announcement was eagerly awaited. People had bottle caps all over their table saying, like, fingers crossed, being like, make me a millionaire. You know, people were drinking Pepsi. There's cases of people drinking Pepsi morning, noon, night for every meal. Even if they were only making like $4 a day, they were spending most of that money on Pepsi because they truly believed this could be like a huge financial break. And they weren't very rich at the time. $20,000 in 1992 Philippines would have been a lot of money. So many people were delighted when the number 349 was pulled. But as you can probably tell, that's the problem. Many people were delighted. Instead of there being one winner, there was instead 490,116 people with winning bottle caps. And they were all eagerly waiting for Pepsi executives to hand them over a giant novelty check. You see, the way Pepsi had arranged the competition was they had a list of 60 rare numbers which Pepsi had pre-selected as winning numbers to make sure they only had limited prizes to give away. So, for instance, the bottle cap 223 would have won you 1 million pesos, but there was only one bottle cap in the country which would have given you a million pesos, which had 223. And there was another list of numbers which was strictly forbidden from winning. Uh, so there was hundreds of thousands of these printed, and they all tended to have high cash prizes. So... The 349, the winning number which was announced, was in 800,000 bottles. So about you can see from that about 500,000 people went for, had winning bottle caps. There was 800,000 bottles. People were buying it like crazy. And you had almost half a million people thinking they were winners. Pepsi had, unfortunately, went with a Mexican consulting firm, DG Consultores, and they put them in charge of the competition to try and make a bit of space. And somehow, the Mexican consulting firm publicly announced a number which was in so many bottle caps, Pepsi owed the Philippines the equivalent of 
500 billion pesos, or loosely 1 billion in US dollars, rather than 20,000. So you can imagine trying to balance the books saying, hey, we're supposed to give away 20 grand and we now have to give away 1 billion. So many delighted Filipinos began to contact Pepsi expecting a life-changing amount of money, but Pepsi stalled, refusing to pay the full amount out. They instead began to offer people 35,000 pesos, or $650, to try and cut their losses. As you can expect, this information was taken very poorly. There was mass riotings, with 32 Pepsi delivery trucks being destroyed, and five people, including three Pepsi's employees, killed. So while some accepted the 35,000 pesos, 22,000 people sued Pepsi in a class action lawsuit, claiming that Pepsi owed them a lot of money. But after 14 years of litigation, Pepsi won their lawsuit, but any temporary increases in sales went into free fall after the 25th of May because people thought, why are we drinking Pepsi because the competition's over? Also, we're boycotting Pepsi because they're not giving those people their money. This really badly affected Pepsi, so now, even in the Philippines today, it can be a bit hard to get your hands on a Pepsi. I was reading on Reddit, like a bunch of people were talking about this and saying, even today, you know, you can't really get your hands on them. And as a final note, Pepsi had run this competition in other territories as well, including Chile, where months before they had run the same competition and again had with had drawn the wrong winning number, which had been released to the public. And although there was no rioting or death, many people were disappointed when Pepsi had refused to pay out that as well. So they caused a riot in the Philippines and they should have realized their mistake from what they had done in Chile, but they didn't care. And another story, which we're not going to tell today, is Pepsi has done a lot of weird promising. So once they promised a man a Harrier jump jet, but that's a completely other story. Finally, number five. In 2014, a journalist from a Sydney website called 9MSN was sent a black safe with a note attached asking them to check their voicemail. The reporter, like any sane person after 2011, didn't use voicemail. However, she received a sinister message from an unknown number the night before, and she feared that she was being targeted. She, with her, the help of colleagues, approached the safe slowly, trying to open it. However, when they approached the safe and put their hands on the handle, the safe began to give off a loud beeping noise. The editor of 9MSN began to reach out to other Sydney publications to see if anyone else had been sent strange packages. When they realised that they were the only one, they evacuated the building and called the police. The bomb squad took the safe to the basement and after scanning it, they forced it open, only to find a copy of the video game Watch Dogs. It was clearly a PR stunt which had gone wrong, especially if you consider 9MSN doesn't even review video games. Ubisoft in Australia were forced to publicly apologise for the incident and said, look, we're sorry, we just thought this would be a great marketing ploy, but they had to evacuate a building and call in the bomb squad just because their publicity was a bit too real. So those are our five marketing disasters. So the reason that we did these five marketing disasters today was because I'm actually interested in making a spin-off where I actually talk about advertisements I don't like, 
which I'm probably going to put on this podcast feed. It's probably going to be a once-off, and I'm going to do it on YouTube with the videos as well, so you can see the ones I don't like. But yeah, I'm just going to talk about five uh, five ads which have been released recently, which I don't like, and I'll just describe why I don't like them. It's not going to be exactly scapegoat, but you could end up enjoying it. So I hope you've learned from today the lessons of why these five things failed. The first thing that failed was Coke because they didn't do their research. They turned up to Europe and they decided, hey, we'll use our American advertisements. We won't do any ground research. It's going to be fine. Failed. The Noid failed because of a pretty much an act of God. A crazy person called Noid decided, they're making fun of me and took over a pizza restaurant. You know, you can't really plan for that. The campaign was successful, but, you know, just act of God blew it up. LG telephones in Korea. Yeah, you should have planned it a lot better than that. Like, I get the idea. It is an interesting idea. But the fact that people could so easily get injured or hurt, that's the last thing you want for publicity. You want some, like, K-pop stars to be, oh, I love this phone. You know, that's what you do if you're in Korea. You don't get people to be massively injured. Yeah, Pepsi in the Philippines, complete disaster. They should have known better because they'd done it in Chile months before. They caused a riot which killed five people. Like, this is the least responsible thing that, you know, I was just reading about it. And, you know, the people there were just so delighted. They thought it was a life-changing amount of money. Have you ever, if you ever seen the movie Bruce Almighty, where, you know, Bruce becomes God and everyone in the town wishes to win the lottery and that causes riots as well because you know everyone won the lottery you'd only get about twelve dollars so yeah that's bad on you pepsi bad company bad company and finally watchdogs yeah don't send strange packages to like major news networks which could be considered bombs i kind of get this one that other, for instance, Resident Evil has opened a butcher shop in London where they're selling meat that looked like human potty parts. You know, again, that didn't do well. But, you know, you're always trying to, in the video game industry, push it and try and get a bit of publicity. They say no publicity is bad publicity, so maybe this helped Watch Dogs a bit. But again, game wasn't great. The second one was kind of good. The first game was a bit, a bit of a scandal because... They promised really great graphics, and then when they released the game, the game didn't have great graphics. So, yeah, not the best. Okay, so I've been Luke. This has been Scapegoat. Uh, we've just been talking about failed advertisements. Hopefully, I'm going to record the other thing about, uh, we're going to call it Your Ad's Bad and You Should Feel Bad. And I'll be hopefully releasing that the day after I release this podcast. I'm probably going to record it after this, but uh, yeah. Thanks very much, guys, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.